What is it that you help your clients understand mm -hmm. to help them weather that storm? So I always <laughs> tell, in particular, my married couples that I'm the therapist to the relationship. I'm not the therapist to you two individually. Even with that, I tell all of my clients that therapy is like a GPS, right? You're inputting where it is that you want to go. So the relationship sets the tone of the direction that we're going utilizing this GPS. For me, I serve as that passenger. While you're fixating and focused on where it is that you're going and how you're getting there, I'm letting you notice. I'm helping with the direction and focus of therapy to get you where you're going. Before we get into this episode, I know you've been struggling with the idea of starting your own business and launching a premium product that you know is gonna transform lives. So I have a bomb resource for you. The man himself, Words Taylor, is going to help you launch your product or service for the clients who need your help right now. Now you can't call yourself a business owner unless you are getting in front of new clients every single day, and Words knows exactly how to do that. All you have to do is tap in so he can teach you his six-figure launch strategy that's produced over $5 million in client sales. So all you have to do is go to HighTicketLaunchSecrets.com. That's HighTicketLaunchSecrets.com and get into the free training. It's happening this week. So go to HighTicketLaunchSecrets.com and let's get into the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. Guys, along this journey, you are going to need support. And that's why I'm really happy for us to talk about this. So while we have conversations about corporate professionals who are transitioning into entrepreneurship, the question is always about like mindset. What kind of mindset do you need to have in order to, to make this journey successful? Well, today I have somebody here really special who's going to be able to talk about that part about the journey as well as her own journey <laughs> because homegirl already left her corporate job six months ago. Mm-hmm. Dope. So yep. you have experience from the professional side of things as well as personal side of things. Um, and I think we'll be able to get into your, your journey a little bit to understand how did you make decisions to get yourself across that line. Yeah. So without further ado, would you please introduce yourself? Of course. So I am Carnesia Bogans. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I have been in the therapeutic world since... 2014. I'm not good at counting up years anymore because of the pandemic. But um, yeah, I've been in the therapy world since 2014. And I would definitely say it has been a very rewarding experience personally as well as professionally mm -hmm. and you're not lying about like the whole pandemic timing i feel like i always got to carry the two carry the one minus right one, and then add a couple but i feel like for a therapist though 2020 and 2021 could have been like perfect breeding grounds for a therapist to learn some things how do you feel about you know, being a professional during that time and a resource that people go to. Yeah, so it definitely brought out a lot of things personally where, you know, you're realizing, okay, you have to be accountable for your clients and the type of work that you do with them. But it also put a level of weight and accountability on us personally too. Because while I'm able to sit in your thoughts and your feelings with you, I need to be able to process mine so that I can be able to be fully present for you as well. So it, I feel like for me, it definitely placed a level of accountability on me. Like I can't talk to my clients and tell them, you know, live a life that's best for you and all that kind of stuff while I'm going to a nine to five and I'm struggling with anxiety and depression that's coming with this job too. Yeah. So it definitely gave me a level of accountability to say, hey, I am promoting a healthy lifestyle to other people 
I need to do that for myself too. Ooh, come on with the account. Because it felt like imposter syndrome or it felt like, you know, I was being a fraud with like sitting there telling these people, you know, live the life that you want. Go after the life that you want while I wasn't doing the same thing because I'm worried about a paycheck. I'm worried about insurance. I'm worried about all these different factors, which I'm sure they were worried about as well. But it got to a point where I have to practice what I preach too. I have to place myself in the position where I'm doing what's best for me as well. So it definitely, like 2020, definitely came with a level of accountability personally and professionally. I love it. I love it. The top three responses that I get when I ask, why do you want to leave corporate America? Are that you want financial freedom, you want to own your own time, and you want to build a legacy for this generation and generations to come. Now, this is not a solo job. In order to transition from your nine to five into entrepreneurship, it's going to take community and it's going to take resources. And I've created the community of pioneers who are going to wrap around you and help you make that transition successfully. So if you're interested in leaving your job, go ahead and click that information below. Let's get into the community and let's transition from your nine to five into entrepreneurship successfully. Now, let's get back to the episode. And speaking of accountability and stepping up, living the life that you are promoting, what's the shift? How has the shift been? You said imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I think my relationship with imposter syndrome is like, if you feel imposter syndrome, that's because you you know you the shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, you did a, something in your life that right. shows that you, are, you feel like you're an imposter. But now that you are on the other side of mm -hmm. things, you let that, that um, nine to five go. What's your relationship with um, empowering clients do you feel like you are in a better position to empower clients or yeah absolutely <laughs> i feel like i'm on the other side of it because i've been in that position now we all come from different backgrounds we all experience things differently but at the same time i can speak from a place of like knowing what that feels like and that can be felt not just with me saying it but my clients can actually feel that like i'm identifying with something with her because I'm sensing more than it just being therapy or just words. Like, you can feel the passion behind what it is that I'm saying because I've been in that situation, too, and I've been in that position where you're having to make the hard choices. You're having to really look at your life and say, okay, what's going to be the sacrifice? Am I going to continue to be the sacrifice that I need to provide, or will I be able to give myself a sense of clarity by allowing what these resources that are familiar to me are and let that be the sacrifice with the clear mind and, and provide myself the the means of, of having other possibilities of what like life can look like for me mm -hmm. and how I can be able to have my life be provided in a different way other than what seems comfortable for me. Right. Finding that stability in a whole different way. Right. Now. Right. Um, you, I think you mentioned something that's really important for people who are looking for therapists. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's one thing to feel like as a therapist, and, and you know, I'm also learning about the empathies and, and active listening and the skills that it takes to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. But it's something to be said when the person sitting across from you understands the journey. Right. There's only so much empathetic listening that I can really <laughs> I'm going to need you to be here with me so we can get up out of here. Right. And so for, for your 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 um, experience, you're also a licensed marriage um, family therapist, mm -hmm. right? Um, so how did you choose that specific niche and, and how do you identify with your clients in that journey? Okay, so for me, <clears throat> it's, it's an ironic story. Um, so... 2000, 
13 or 14, um, my corporate job was going through changes in management. And so the type of changes that were coming, everybody felt it and was like, it was like this cloud came over the office. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, I need an exit strategy. I need to come up with something. A lot of people's exit strategy was to like go to another office or another division in the department and all that kind of stuff. But my exit strategy was like, if I'm an exit, I'm going to exit. Mm-hmm. So um, I started looking at like different programs and for whatever reason, like counseling popped up. And so I was looking at the counseling program. I went to an open house for it. And while I was at the open house, I saw a pamphlet for a licensed marriage and family therapist. Now, mind you, I was not familiar with the different types of therapy and counselors and therapists and what's the difference between all of them or anything. But I saw this licensed marriage and family therapist um, pamphlet for the program. And I was like, wait, what's this? So I asked one of the um, professors that was at the open house. I was like, well, what is this program? And she was just like, oh, they're very specific. They only work with families and um, married couples. But with counseling, you have a, a wide range of people that you can be able to work with and blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, I was fixated on this licensed marriage and family therapist. So I went home and I looked up the program and I immediately started crying. And I was like, what is this? And I'm not a crier. I'm not super emotional. So what is happening? You know, so I'm having this whole emotional moment while I'm reading the description of what a licensed marriage and family therapist is, like the way that that program described it. What is that? And so I don't even remember, girl. I was just like, like, you just feel like you were watching it. I mean, not watching it, reading it. Mm-hmm. It's telling you whatever. And you, your soul must I have been identified with, right. It was a spiritual connection, I believe, with. Whatever it was that was there, I don't remember what it said. Um, it may have been talking about providing relief to families and all this other kind of stuff. I honestly don't remember the wording. I just remember my emotional reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, this is deep. So I went to one of the open houses and met a lot of people and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of chose me in a sense. And even with um, the program that I was a part of, like we built certain connections that are still lasting now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the people that were there at the time that I was in the program were meant to be there. Like they were on assignment. I won't say specifically for me, but I was definitely a part of that assignment and the impact that they had on me, um, not just as a therapist, but as a person. Um, I can remember one professor, um, he was completely amazing like I said I'm not a very emotional person but it would be times during our supervision where he would tap into a space that I was completely unaware of Mm -hmm. and just like completely open it up in a way that was like inspiring like I want to be able to to do this for other people so I don't even remember what the question was in some kind of way I got here. It was you but choosing the niche of oh, okay. life. Ma- because was, as I'm even... thinking about you reading the description of what like a licensed marriage family therapist is, my idea of how it's written is talking about providing relief and connectivity between mm-hmm. certain parent, uh, parents and children. Um, being able to get over the grief of a loved one. Right. Being able to, like, mend these, like, really dead relationships. You see them every day. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm 
I'm curious is your background and your relationship with your family. Yeah. Because maybe your your soul was like, I need that. Yeah. And so through you choosing this profession, maybe that's where your healing came from. Absolutely. But I'm making all assumptions right <laughs> no, now. No, you're on point. <laughs> so even for me, um, I grew up in a two-parent household up until 16. And so at 16, my parents got a divorce. And with me being the oldest child... I was one of those parentified children, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I was the other parent, sometimes the parent even to the two of them. Mm -hmm. With me being the oldest, both of them were, like, the youngest siblings. My dad had eight brothers and sisters. He was the ninth um, kid. And my mom had um, three older brothers, and she was the youngest of four, and she was the only girl. So a lot of times, like, I was that parentified child. And during their divorce, of course, you know, sometimes we don't really see our parents as being human. Mm -hmm. And they were just, you know, living out their humanistic side of of life and their trauma and their experience. And I grasped my own perception of what was happening because nobody ever talked to me. So it could have been like me reading those things and realizing that I could have utilized some of this. Some of this could have been beneficial to me Mm -hmm. had I had a therapist that could be able to sit in those things with me but even with the description i'm pretty sure it even touched on um individual counseling because even though our title is descriptive to marriage and family therapy we also help individuals so just reading how um the profession is able to like open up and tap into these areas with people in a way that i can't even describe and then to have that come from someone who looks like you, who identifies with your culture, like all that type of th- stuff, like it is, it's indescriptive, like yeah. what you can be able to, to get from that and benefit from that in, in that way. The healing is um, astronomical. And when I look at a lot of your content that you put out there, speaking to specifically um, marriage and family counseling is one thing, mm-hmm. but focusing on self is essentially a lot of what your content focuses yeah. on. Because it's amazing how like, once you get yourself together, a lot of those like issues that you thought were issues were no longer issues. Not right. because the person has changed, mm-hmm. but because you have you now understand a way to approach it that Absolutely. works for you. So, um, speaking like your lens and the the lens that you that you developed over time, I'm thinking about you mentioning like the the schema that you like came up with looking at your family, your mom and dad mm-hmm. um, being humans as they're going through their, their divorce. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also thinking about how you developed who you were going to be in this world. Because, like, if we recall, like, therapy wasn't your first career. Right. So at that point in your time, how were you developing um, in, in school? Like, what were you learning? Did you, were you thinking about, like, this is what I want to be when I grow up? Yeah, so <clears throat> me and my therapist have done a lot of work centered around this. Um, because things were always going on, like in my household, I always turned inwardly. So, um, we coined this whole phrase of like a soldier girl, right? That I turned into, like, I felt like I always had to show up for myself and other people. I had a lot of trust issues, like centered around, like being able to depend on other people. So for me, it was always this thing of like showing up for myself. And that came with like a whole lot of pressure and, having to feel like I was the person that had to be responsible for everything. So for me, like therapy unlocked this sense of vulnerability for me to realize, hey, 
not only do you have trust issues, but you may have some abandonment issues too mm-hmm. because your parents couldn't show up for you during that time. And you had to do what you felt was best for you right. in that moment. So, you know, for me, the whole self-work and like you were saying with my content, a lot of that is centered around self-work because boundaries is becoming this very popular thing that everybody wants to throw out. Like, my boundaries, my boundaries when... In actuality, the more you deal with yourself and focus on yourself, your boundaries can create themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to establish create, establish, and build uh-huh. them. Because the more that you learn about yourself, yeah. you start recognizing what comes with you. Yeah, that's, you know what that's I mean? good. Let me tell you. Just let me think about something because there are times when... It really is making me think because there are times when I say, you know what, next time we're just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to just set a, a I want to say materialistic like boundary, but it's not material. I'm trying to think of like, I'm just setting a boundary, yeah. right? Because I feel like that's what's going to protect me next time. Mm-hmm. But really, truly, I just don't feel like journaling or I don't feel like processing whatever I'm feeling right yeah. now. And through processing it, that's when I'll figure out, okay, so this is what I need to do for me. Mm-hmm. That work probably takes twice or three times as long as me just arbitrary boundary. That's yeah. what I want to say. Creating an arbitrary boundary that mm-hmm. I feel like won't get me hurt. But technically, I'm just pulling it out of thin air and not necessarily exploring, okay, what went wrong mm-hmm. and how do I like move different? How yeah. do I be different? Not how do I just set a boundary that... Or know, what was it that... <clears throat> initiated the whole thought process of needing a boundary Mm. like really digging deep into okay what is it that happened like trigger is another popular term but what is setting off my trigger like not that the person is triggering me but what is the person doing that's initiating like my trigger so I think a lot of times I and that's my my whole judge like self work and I know that it's one of the hardest things for us to do but it's the most rewarding because the more we begin to learn about ourselves like I said things just start creating and building itself but a lot of times too especially with people of color whether it's black brown whatever people of color we already come from a historical context of trauma Mm -hmm. so we start to go into these survival modes and these survival methods and we normalize them we think that because what we're doing, we've always done it, that is normal. Everybody yeah. locks their doors as soon as they get in the car and look five ways and then spin around and go across the street. Like, we create these things to normalize them when really, like, it's built and birthed out of trauma. Mm. And it's a trauma response. And a lot of times, too, we get over the situations that create those trauma responses but we don't necessarily look at, okay, how do I alleviate myself from the response that came with the trauma too? So all of that, I think, is tied into self-work and it comes, you know, the benefit of doing self-work comes from actually sitting in those things and allowing that self-work that you create to create things for you instead of you having to create them. Yeah. I'm thinking about the person who is comfortable and they've established so many, like, this is just the way I am things Mm -hmm. in their life that they don't see the value in self-work. Yeah. Because self-work now requires so much more energy. Right. When, if I just look 10 ways, da-da-da-da, like, I've I've developed this um, mindset that that, everything's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And as I think about what you're saying, 
I'm, the word process is coming up. Yeah. A lot of times I feel like for me, everything's an ongoing process. But um, from looking at your content, mm-hmm. processing is knowing what like what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve and then you going through a process yeah. to get to it. So how does someone know when they are done processing whatever that is? For example, let's say um, someone does have um, a thing about locking the doors, getting in the car, look three ways, da 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 da, mm-hmm. and they feel like, why wouldn't you do that, girl? When you from la da da da, you gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't I? And it's like, yes, that's fair. Yeah. But let's explore this more. How long does a person need to explore it to know that they fully process whatever they went through? Yeah, I think that <clears throat> the answer to that is going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I would say for me, I would know that my process has come to an end when I can be able to clearly define it for me. Mm. It makes sense. And that's not the only option that I have. Like, I've alleviated the, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it's always going to be. And I'm not open to anything else outside of whatever it is that I think. Like, when I'm at a point where I clearly understand why I do it, I clearly understand that there are alternative options and I'm open to those options and I'm not married to whatever this is that I'm thinking or trying to decide on or whatever the case may be I think for me that's when I know that that process has come to an end mm-hmm. but that could look different for for you know a lot of different people and I think that that's the beauty too of your own journey mm-hmm. you define it but it doesn't come with these parameters around it to where you're so guarded with it that it's that only thing and it's that only option. Right. This is the way. Not, right. Not Even if you still do the behavior, mm-hmm. being aware that this, is, this doesn't have to be that way. And in addition to that, too, your body responses to those things. Mm-hmm. Like if your body is still responding where you're still having sweaty palms or you're having heart palpitations or you're having panic attacks and all that kind of stuff, that's letting you know that, hey, your body is telling you something is off, something is wrong, and we need to provide attention to that. And I think that's one important thing, too, that I tell my clients often that even though we have this mindset that we can be able to control our thoughts and our emotions, your body never stops responding to the things that you're trying to be distracted from. Mm. So that's a part of processing too. When your mind and your body is on one accord and they leveled up with each other and they're flowing freely as one, mm-hmm. then you know that your process is, is at a close and to an end and you fully process what it is that you need. You are a hammer gem. <laughs> you are really good. Girl, this is therapy like, as a client. Okay? I am not ashamed to say that I'm a therapist that's in therapy. Because, I mean, if you really think about it, even with other professions, like if you are sick mm-hmm. and you have some type of illness that requires you to go to the hospital, you're not going to put on your white coat and go in the hospital and be like, okay, Get the ER open and, and get get the the operator. Okay, on yes, you cannot. You know do, what I'm yes. saying? Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You can't You're do going to have another doctor. Right. Absolutely. So it's the same thing with therapy. Like I am definitely an advocate on both sides, mm-hmm. from the couch as well as like speaking to the couch. Like mm-hmm. I think that's, a, that's, that's important. That's probably not probably that I am sure that is where the value of having you as a therapist comes from. Yeah, and. Um, I know you haven't always been this person, right? Right. Who were you when you were picking your first career? 
Girl, a hot mess. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Tell the truth, Shayla. Okay, so when I first entered corporate, I was 23, I believe. Fresh out of college. Um, stressed. That soldier girl that I was talking about earlier is like, okay, we need to pay for these student loans. We got bills. We got car note. I need to find a job. I need to find a job. Like, we just going through the motions of things. And I had also experienced my first real heartbreak, mm-hmm. like adult heartbreak. I ain't talking about the high school sweetheart stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm talking about a man that I was with for, what, on and off maybe 10 years or so. Yeah. And we actually grew up together. Um, it was just one of those things where we were in different places mm-hmm. in life. Um, his outlook on life and how that looked was very different from mine. Um, and I honestly believe, like, no shade or nothing like that, but I believe that my mindset scared him. Mm-hmm. Like, I was one of those ones that was like, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to the top. Like, I'm not going to limit myself to my small town or the area that we grew up in. Like, I got dreams and aspirations. And either you coming with me or we're going to have to figure out what this looks like. And I think that that always was something that he feared and he knew about me before I even knew that about myself. And it was intimidating because sometimes, you know, even with relationships, people can look at you like, I don't think I'm the one for you. You out there trying to be Michelle Obama. And I'm good with being Larry, you know, the, the tool man. You know, so it's just one of those things where our paths was leading us in different places, but because of the love that we had, we tried to, like, make it work, work, Mm -hmm. and it just was not going to happen. So I was dealing with that and trying to, you know, let myself free from that, and I honestly believe that that initiated me and my journey and my path into womanhood. That breakup was the thing that transitioned me into, like, being a grown-ass woman. Like, for real, because it came with some stuff that I had to shed off of me. Mm-hmm. And the reality of who I was versus who I thought I was was, like, mixing together. And that was another thing, too, on why we um, separated. Because I was, I created him to be someone that he wasn't. So when the reality of who he was was fighting against who I created him to be in my mind, mm-hmm. it became a problem for me. And so I think that's that's what a lot of people, not just women, but men do. We create this perception around people. Yeah. And then when the perception that we've created for that person doesn't match or meet the reality of who they are and those two perceptions start fighting, mm-hmm. then we get upset and it's like, you're changing, you're this and that. But in actuality, we created this perception of the person. They're just introducing you to the reality of who they are. So... Um, yeah, to go back to your question. Yeah, you were released. I, I yeah. can ask you a lot more questions about it. And I think it actually is in person. So we can put a pin in it because okay. I definitely want to know, like, um, what I, like, you said he released you to go into your womanhood, which I think is a great journey to go into, into your career. Yeah. But I think saying right there, which is like creating this false perception you were able to do, to do this in your early 20s which yeah. a lot of people are still creating perceptions right. around a person so I am kind of curious for you to explain one the root cause of someone creating that mm-hmm. that perception are they trying to find something that makes them feel safe in their mind and they realize the reality is not that and they fight with that or what's happening in a person's brain when they are cr- trying to create a perception whether it's their mom their boyfriend mm-hmm. like 
what's happening in a person's mind to to do that? It could be a lot of different reasons. Um, And I think that the reason probably would be different for everybody. But a lot of it could be stemmed from childhood. Mm -hmm. A lot of it could be um, them not willing to accept the reality of who that person is. It could be the pressure that they have on themselves to make it work, even though they're seeing signs and symptoms of it failing. Mm -hmm. It could be them not wanting to be a failure, and this is yet another relationship that is going south, Mm -hmm. and I'm determined. And and then at that point, it's not even about that person that they're with, it's about them. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it could be a a lot of different reasons as to why those types of things can happen. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that it's personal, but for me, it was one of those things where, like I said, we grew up together. So it was one of those things where somewhere down the line, like. I lost the reality of who that was. So I created my own perception of who he was. And that just started fighting against the reality of, you know, who he was. Because my mindset was, okay, we both are out here on this paper chase. Like, we both are trying to get Got to you. the and million he, and, then, and then when you get out of that bubble, you're like, hey, you still on the couch. Right, Larry, why you still got these tools? Not saying his name was Larry. <laughs> like, let me say that. It wasn't Larry. But I'm just saying, like, you know... You, you just realize and you look up and you like, wait a minute. We're not on the same journey. At all. Got you. Yeah. Okay, I understand. So it sounds like from a healing perspective for people to get it, um, you have to be able to see like reality right here in front of you. Are you guys on the same journey? Right. Not the mindset or the ideal that we create about a relationship. Or even what a person says. Right. That they want, that they're doing. Because if the fruit is not showing up, then that should help you understand, are we like headed to the Wizard of Oz or are we headed like for real right. on this on the right journey, on the same journey together? Right. And realizing um. that people don't always end the way that they start. Mm-hmm. Like people have the option to change mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to either be accepting of that or to let it go. And a lot of times because either we see the potential of the person mm-hmm. and we're so tuned into that potential that they may not even have about themselves or even want that we lock in in a way where, especially I can just speak for women because I ain't a man, Mm -hmm. but we like, I can cultivate that out of you. I can be able to like take you to where it is because I I see it. You a good man. Mm -hmm. And I can make you a husband. (laughs) You can't make no man do do nothing that he don't want to do. Ever. Okay? And we do that. I can shape you. I can mold you. All you need is this. All you need is that. Right. All you need to do, sis, is sit down because he's not going to do it. Ooh. So it was just one of those types of, yes. of deals. Yes. All right. I'm with it. So you have been released. Yes. So at this time, yes, you're focusing on the bills. I got to get a job. But even when we're in that space, mm-hmm. we still be, we are on our, we are on our ish, right? Right. And so you were on your ish. You went and found a corporate job. What yeah. was your corporate job? So I worked for the federal government <clears throat> in human resources for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very ironic because I was recruited from a job fair at my college and I had been taking all of these classes with the career center on how to work a career fair or a job fair, what to say. And, um, it was really me like interviewing them. And even down to when I showed up, the career fair was over and they were packing up their stuff. And I went to this particular agency's, I won't say the agency, Mm -hmm. But I went to the agency's table and I spoke with the recruiter and I was asking her questions and like that lighthead came on like, wait a minute, you a little different. So I noticed that she put my application 
in the back of the stack in another way that was different from how she was doing everybody else's. And I was like, okay, cool. So <laughs> I harassed her every week um, for about four months before she called me and offered me the position. And I, I was the youngest person in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was promoted very quickly within a five-year time span. So um, with the federal government, like they're on like this GS pay scale or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I elevated my way to the top of that particular position very quickly. And that didn't serve too well with the people that I was in that office with. Because okay. first of all, I'm 23, mm-hmm. and I'm making very close to six figures at a very early age, and it's taken them like 20, 30 years to, to be on that same track. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the person that I started out, you know, with this career was definitely not the person that I left as because, yeah, that was a very confused hurt, traumatic, um, in survival mode. I need to make this happen for myself and my family person. Um, but the person that I left, um, when I left the agency was free, um, was healed and was able to inspire some of those same people that didn't want to see me win. So Mm, you remind me of that meme where it's like, girl, you inspire people who don't even want you to know. Yeah. You were in HR, mm-hmm. and people who are in corporate, one, they try to go to HR for help because that's where we supposed to go for help. Yeah. You're in HR, and you're experiencing some of the issues oh. that a lot of us are experiencing. So where does an HR professional have to go for relief or It's help? horrible because <clears throat> HR can be more messy or messier than the actual people that are calling or that they're servicing. And I mean, it's crazy because, and I can't speak for all HR, and I'm definitely not going to say where I work now because I'm revealing all these things. (laughs) But, um, yeah, when you don't have anybody that's governing you and, like, Mm. making sure that the same thing that you're enforcing, you're doing too. Mm. Like, people just go haywire. Like, it, (laughs) there were things that were happening that was just, like, extremely crazy it's like the buck stops here i hadn't even thought about that yeah because there is no like you know how the government has the checks and balances Mm -hmm. there's no checks and balances no we are the checks and balance and because not we because i don't do that no more (laughs) but they are the checks and balance and the um i'll I'll say this too the amount of therapy that hr needed Mm -hmm. was mind-blowing too um, for me, even with being in this office and in that type of environment where there was no sense of checks and balances, um, the amount of jealousy, the amount of envy, the amount of all of those things can take a toll on you. I remember even talking to certain coworkers and me being included too. There were times where I would cry before going to work. Like it was really affecting my mental space and it wasn't so much of what people were doing to me. It was more so the um environment and i can't think of the word that i'm looking for but it was more so the aura of the office Mm -hmm. and that cloud of doom that was over it and that negativity i even realized that i had become this person that i wasn't so with me working in this toxic environment i became someone who um was very passive aggressive and that's not even my personality very passive aggressive very insecure 
And I started realizing that a lot of those people, because they were so unhappy with themselves, mm-hmm. they started projecting their insecurities on me. Mm-hmm. And you know, with anything, if you're around something long enough, you start to become what it is that yes. you're around. So yes. I started thinking that I was very insecure and I didn't know this. And I started questioning my worth ethics and there was absolutely nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so it was just one of those things where my environment became my reality and I started subjecting myself to the thoughts and opinions of those that didn't have the skill set as me, to those that didn't think how I think and those that weren't gifted in the ways that I had gifts. So yeah. it definitely took a toll on me and affected me. Yeah, you, you described it as a, a, a glooming cloud, you yeah. know, a, a fog all over the office. And um, when you, you just made me think of um, Jennifer, can't remember her last name, but she's everybody's mama on NTV in Hollywood. Yeah, Lewis. Yes. Yeah. She said, when some, when some smell like... Right. He comes, get up right. out of here. Right. <laughs> and, and I was like, yo, <clears throat> listening to what you're saying, it's, it's really great when we're able to get up out of there, yeah. right? And then look at the mess that we were in. But when we were in the mess, it didn't necessarily seem like mess. Right. We even rationalize like what we're in yeah. and we're still go get it. Mind you, this was what, five years? You, you spent five years in this environment. So I'm 12. 12 years? Mm-hmm. So from. Tell me the times. So from 2009, 2009. until 2021. Okay, 12 years. You're in the you're in the um the um, environment mm-hmm. and I'm curious to know like the top 3 things that you were telling yourself, like whether it was um, you trying to rationalize it or you were getting true professional development, what made you stay for 12 years? Um, I think the biggest thing was that mindset. My family's dependent on me. Mm-hmm. So this is job security. Mm-hmm. Um, insurance, me feeling as though I'm not going to be able to find benefits like this. And um, I need to make sure that my family is okay with insurance. So job security, insurance, and knowing exactly what it is that I do and understanding that I know the demons that are in this office and I know how to adjust to them. How do I do that outside of here? How do I um, tackle something new and have to deal with that? Because it became this thing, too, of, well, you're going to deal with something everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm dealing with here. So Mm -hmm. I can just be able to adjust myself and separate from it, which was a complete lie. So a lot of me staying there had to do with the money, insurance, Mm -hmm. and that mindset of it's like this everywhere. I could just deal with this here. Because I know what I'm dealing with. So there was no part of you that thought, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Maybe I can turn this into my million-dollar path. Like oh, maybe no. I'm somewhere. You and knew I'll, tell you why. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> the reason why I never had that is because, like I said, I was the youngest one in the office. But I'm literally watching all of my coworkers be in a position that they were never meant to be in. Mm-hmm. One of my coworkers, she could come inside of an empty room and, like, completely rebuild the whole place or space she could tell you that chair that color complete interior designer another friend she was supposed to be um a fashion designer but she's sitting in hr like doing work so it was always reminders like since day one of why I could never stay there and feel comfortable with that because I'm literally seeing people retire 
that have been in these same positions for over 50 years. Yeah. Like you have lived and died in this same office mm-hmm. with no sense of life. Yes, you are financially stable, but at the same time, when you leave this earth, what is it that you're leaving here? Yeah. Like what legacy are you creating and building mm-hmm. while you're here? And I always had those reminders around me that I couldn't ignore it. Like there was no option for me to even try to ignore it because it was there. This is what you're going to look like if you decide to make it work or stay here or push forward. Like this is what it's going to be for you. Wow. And so you were hit to that and you were aware of putting yourself in a position where the money is good, the benefits are good, I'm not happy. And for 12 years you did it. So for you, what was it? I remember you told me off camera okay. that you made the decision to leave seven years before you actually did it. Yes. That right there we have to talk about. Absolutely. What did that like what did, what was that epiphany? And then what was the process that took seven years for you to get there? I fought it. Like I fought it with everything that was in me because it was always this perception like I'm not gonna find this anywhere. Like the job is not that complicated. I get paid to Do something that comes easy for me. But then it became this challenge of, like I said, with my clients and getting more into therapy, like, you ain't happy. And how you gonna sit up here and tell these people that they need to do what makes them happy and what's best for them, and you're not even doing that. So that level of accountability came in strong, like, the last two years of me um, being there, but... But wait a minute. When did you decide to go back to school and become a therapist? I went back to school in 2014. Okay. 2009 to 2014. That's seven years. And then 2014, you decide to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And you were saying, like, you saw the pamphlet, Mm -hmm. bringing us back to that point where you saw the pamphlet, you learned about, um, I was going to say LMFT, but Licensed Marriage Family Therapist. Yeah. It's a mouthful. (laughs) But, (laughs) But what triggered this idea that I'm going to go look for an education somewhere else. What, what, were, what were you thinking at the time? I don't even know, to be honest with you. I don't know why I thought the path and the route was education rather than looking for another job. Now, I knew I couldn't look for another job in the agency because of how I started. Like, I didn't start from the ground up and work my way up through the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Like, I was graced into mm-hmm. going straight into HR rather than starting from the bottom and like, you know, graduating my way up. Mm-hmm. So for me, I didn't have a lot of the background that my coworkers did to be able to go to different avenues gotcha. of the agency. Mm-hmm. But even for me, I wasn't interested in developing those things either because it was like set like this is not the place for me. And for whatever reason, education became that avenue and I was fixated on Education, like I need to learn something new so that I can be able to like do something else. That makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It was the options that were available because we went back to options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the options that were available. The, none of this is gonna work. You prop, and I here I am assuming. No, but, but you're you're you know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> You're like okay, so in order for me to skip skip out of this thing, I'm gonna have to learn something that's gonna put me in a different atmosphere. Yeah. And you went looking for something that it would that would cling to you, and LMFT is what clung to you in that right, time. Right. Okay. So you weren't thinking, oh, let me strategically um, use this um, this license to do anything more in corporate. You're just trying to find a way out. I it had no like. plan. 
No mm-hmm. plan whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The plan found me, and I accepted it. And you just following yeah. the call at the time. Mm-hmm. I really love it. I, I was talking to a girl a couple of days ago, and she had this whole plan of how she was going to get to where she was going to get. Like, And she didn't give a time, but it's just like, hearing your story is refreshing because yeah. you're allowing the breadcrumbs to find you. Yeah. I love this. Even down to <laughs> leaving, like, a lot of times... People talk a lot about exit strategies mm-hmm. and give yourself like a year, save, do all of this. Yeah. I didn't even have time for that. Yeah. Like it was really detrimental to my mental health. Mm-hmm. And then sitting in those um, therapy sessions with my clients, it just kept reinforcing you cannot keep doing this. Yeah. So the only plan that I did have was to, and thank God that I had a husband that was in it with me. So. Yeah. That was another sense of it, too, like having that level of support to remind me, hey, we can do this. You aren't just doing this by yourself. It's not just you. We can do this, and I'm fully supporting you with this. So to have him to be able to be saving and for me to be able to pay things off, Mm -hmm. like we were working together, that was pretty much our only plan, but... To have like an actual plan, like I'm gonna give myself six months and da 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 da. Like my mental health was too at stake for me yeah. to even have that type of plan. Yeah. And you're you right. would think because I knew like seven years ago I needed to leave, I could have started back then. I was too committed to not letting it go to even think about something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's easy to look back and say, dang, in seven years I could have saved up a whole little 100K yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you were going through some things. Right. So you got the you you got interested in counseling, mm-hmm. and um, your husband. So wait a minute. You you went to counseling. The job is all over the place. It's not feeding you at all. Yeah. Um. You're thinking I got to get up out of here, but you don't know how you're gonna do it. And the woman that you are, I'm I'm feeling like she's stifled. Mm-hmm. So how did you manage to to attract a good person in your life? Um, maintain a, a healthy relationship mm-hmm. as this whole thing is going on. The best way to support the Work and Play podcast is by subscribing to the YouTube channel and by going to your favorite podcast player to subscribe and rate the Work and Play podcast. That's all you have to do. So if you are liking the Work and Play podcast, the content, the stories that we're sharing, and you know that this will help someone, go ahead and share the content to someone who could actually use it and help them on their journey to transition from corporate into entrepreneurship. Now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, I'm going to be real. Prayer, supplication, the end. What? What does that mean? Prayer, supplication. Like really, really praying and asking God, okay, show me me Mm -hmm. and reveal to me the things that I need to know for me. To be honest with you, my relationship with my husband started at a time where I was completely committed to myself. And the only way that I saw him was with me looking up. Like I looked up and he was there. But while I was looking down and working on myself, those things needed to happen for me to be able to see him. Now, I've known my husband for years. We've known each other since 2007, but I never saw him. It was almost like it was some kind of shield of protection over him to where he couldn't couldn't see me in that light and I couldn't see him in that light because neither one of us was ready for that at the time. So it really was this shield of protection to where it's like, okay, when you're ready, I'll take it off and boom, there you go. And it was really that for both of us. He was even in a space too where he wasn't looking for a girlfriend. He wasn't interested in anybody. He was focusing on himself Mm -hmm. and getting himself together. And when it was time, 
we organically looked up and there we were for each other so I got you yeah so um I like how you explained it at a high level um but what you what I'm also trying to understand mm-hmm. is where you you were unhappy in your job mm-hmm. and a lot of times that can take over who we are but you said you 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 realized your husband in a time where you were focusing on yourself yeah where were you both in your career life? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then did you have to turn it on and off to, to, like, where were you at in this journey where you were focusing on yourself, mm-hmm. but things weren't going right? Did you, were you did, when did the veil come off? Was it during that time or was it before you found um, the licensed marriage family therapist? Um, it was during that time of me discovering licensed and licensed marriage. We're going to say elementary. Elementary. (laughs) (laughs) It was during the time of me discovering that. It kind of happened simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was happy with my job. I don't want to put it out there to where I was always miserable. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, in the beginning, from, I would say, 2009 until 2014, I was happy. Okay. And like I said, we went through, like, new management and all of that. Me and my husband started dating 2013, so he came right before that cloud entered the office. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like I was going through that transition with him. And it was ironic because everything that I went through, he was going through and he went through right before me so that he could be able to support me in the way that he was. Now, he, nothing about my husband is corporate. He was not placed on this earth to be anything corporate because he just didn't understand like there were times when he was like just leave the job today we can do it we'll fix <laughs> sir we that's what we're not about to do okay I, a little responsible I, I appreciate your faith but my faith ain't set up like that just yet brother hold on okay so um yeah he was going through um i would say self-employment the self-employment like being frustrated with where he was and it not working and um like corporate being an option but not being an option because he know that that's not him so it was just ironic how he went through his own personal journey and that journey mirrored mine like right before i started going through it he was ending his while mine was beginning okay and he could be able to support me in a Whether different that way mm-hmm. hmm i was thinking about the fact that you met him right before you weathered the storm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I know that, like, so the clients that you're working with, are they're working on themselves. But then for the ones who come to you with, like, marriage issues and things like that, I wonder what it's like to be able to have a perspective on meeting someone in a certain place mm-hmm. and then weathering the storm. I'm assuming that once you know, y'all, we good here. But once we get into the storm, it's like, hold up, hold on, hold yeah. on. We, we about to go in. <laughs> right. So what what is it that, um, what I'm trying to understand is, what is it that you help your clients understand mm-hmm. to help them weather that storm? Because they meet each other and they click in a one in one energy. Yeah. And then the job starts to, to shake. And then, or self-employment starts mm-hmm. to get a little shift. And the, the energy in that stuff is starting to affect the relationship. Yeah. So how do you encourage people, or not even encourage, how do you, people process, how do you help people process that weather of the storm? So I always <laughs> tell, in particular, my married couples that I'm the therapist to the relationship. I'm not the therapist to you two individually. And you're more than welcome, and I even advocate for individual therapy alongside with um, couples therapy. 
everybody doesn't do that, but I do. Mm. Um, but I am the therapist for the relationship. Even with that, I tell all of my clients that therapy is like a GPS, right? You're inputting where it is that you want to go. So just like with like Atlanta traffic, you may go to your job every single day. You know that route. You know how to get there. But things may happen along your journey. You may see an accident. You may be forced to go a different alternative route. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with life and therapy. Therapy is utilized as that GPS for you to input where you go. You are serving as that driver. With couples, that relationship is driving where it is that we're going. So the relationship sets the tone of the direction that we're going utilizing this GPS. For me, I serve as that passenger. While you're fixating and focused on where it is that you're going and how you're getting there, I'm letting you notice or I'm allowing you or giving you the um, option to know that, hey, it's a rest stop here. Let's slow this thing down. Or I see this or I see that. I'm helping with the direction and focus of therapy to mm-hmm. get you where you're going. So for me, all of those things tie into their reasons for therapy, what's going to be the focus, um, how do we get to where it is that you want to go. That relationship will drive that. And a lot of times, my couples are very open to meeting each other. A lot of times people come to, especially couples, they come to therapy saying, you know, we want to work on communication. And I always ask, okay, communication is cool, but how do you comprehend? How are you taught to comprehend what's being communicated to you? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. So we go through all of those different things for everybody to kind of meet in the middle and for couples to really focus on what it is that they're doing, how they're doing it, and how are they communicating it as well as comprehending it with each other. Mm. I hope that answers your question. It did answer okay. my question. So the first part really answered my question, which is like <laughs> you, you, you're a married, you're a therapist to the marriage. Yeah. So long as this marriage is supposed to exist, this is what I'm here for. I don't work with couples who don't know <laughs> what they're doing. So let's say you have one um, client who wants to maintain the marriage and keep it going, and then the other one is like, I want a divorce. I can't do this. Okay. Like. They have to figure out what we're working on in therapy because I can't support both because that's not the marriage. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what it is that is decided. You can't drive anywhere if you don't know what it is that you want to put in this GPS or who's driving. So, yeah. for me, I don't see clients that aren't on one accord. I can see clients if you're going through a divorce and you're trying to co-parent, you both are agreeing to where it is that you want to go. That's fine. Gotcha. But when you got that thing going on, I'm fighting for my marriage, and the other person's like, I'm out. I can't touch that. Right. Because okay. there's no middle, mm-hmm. middle ground. You went through <clears throat> your own journey then, and you also have your clients to pull from. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the notion that uh, relationships are a distraction or relationships slow you down from the success that you want to reach? Mm, I think it depends on the relationship. And I also think that it depends on the weight that the person is placing on the relationship. Are you allowing this relationship to guide you or lead you to the success? Does the success is the success contingent on the success of the relationship? Like I would have a whole lot of other questions to know like what that means, how that looks. Um, how is the person that's in the relationship with you supporting you? Like, are they open to that journey of success? Is it a competition? 
If so, do you really feel like you can be able to take this with you? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's subjective. Mm, I was listening to um, another talk. I listen to lots, lots of talks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this couple um, was saying, it was on Black Love actually, this couple okay. said that um, relationships are a luxury. You don't have to be in a relationship. Um, like you can totally do this life alone. And, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Because, yes, it, it, I, I think about that, and I, it's juxtaposed with Chris Rock, Chris Rock saying, yeah, you can drive a car with your feet, but you shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm trying to understand, like, where, in terms of us as individuals, we have our own career goals. Mm-hmm. We know what success looks like for ourselves, mm-hmm. but we also desire another person to go on the journey with us, yeah. to get in the car. Yeah. So, <clears throat> in regards to treating your treating relationships like a luxury, having the value of wanting to go on a journey with someone else, mm-hmm. and then having your clear goal of where you want to go, mm-hmm. how do you approach a single person who wants to eventually somehow find them find the way find their way in like marriage counseling with yeah. someone? Yeah. Um, first of all, I feel like we were created to be in relationship with people, whether that's through an intimate relationship or friends, family, whatever that looks like. We were never created to be alone. Like, that's just inhumane to me. Um, if you're in a position where you are alone, you learn how to be in that space, but you're not created to be in that space and just you know, like, this is how life is. I want to be by myself. That's literally no way. We trick ourselves to believe that that's how right. it goes, but that's not it. But um, mm. I think, too, even with the flip side of that, a lot of times people are so focused on getting into a relationship that they skip that step of learning themselves. What is it about me that longs for this relationship in this way, and how is that related to my success? Um, I think that we can be able to have whatever it is that we want, but also with that, what is the significance of it and who am I with myself first before I can be able to match or put that with someone else? So I think there's a lot of different things that could be explored with that question with the licensed therapist. (laughs) But um, I think that there's a lot of moving parts that is not very simple to answer. Because it's deep-rooted in other things that may need an answer or require an answer before that can be, like, addressed. Mm -hmm. When you were on your own journey, were there ever times that you were ready to break up with your your spouse in that process? No, so I dated someone before my husband. And um, that transition of breaking up with him was rather challenging and difficult too so I had the biggest breakup before I started working then I started dating someone else and then I met my husband and um yeah it was interesting because I knew that I couldn't be with that person because he couldn't go through that level of success with me like there was some work that he had to do there was some work that I had to do and we couldn't do that with each other or together But as far as my husband, I've never been in a place where I felt like I needed to, like, be separated from him or to break up with him. Because, like I said, it was was very ironic, like, how he literally went through a lot of similar situations 
that I was in the midst of like going towards or going in. Mm -hmm. While I was going in, he was just coming out. And so it was just kind of like, this is weird, but it's necessary and needed. And even with the relationship that I had prior to my husband, everything about that relationship taught me how to be the person that I was meant to be for my husband. Mm. And so I was just looking at that relationship as well as other relationships. And a lot of times too, like a lot of my exes had started getting married and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, God, I feel like you're using me to prepare these men for all of these women. What you doing? <laughs> Your girl's still down here. <laughs> and it wasn't until I met my husband that I realized the point and the significance of all of those men. All of them were not only teaching me about myself, they were also teaching me how to be the woman that my husband needed. Mm. So because that was the type of union that we were creating and that had been built, I've never been in a situation where I'm like, I don't want to be with you. Now, do I not like him? Absolutely. Sometimes I can't stand him. You know, that's he a man. He can't help it. You know, but he probably feel the same way about he you. He does. Right? I'm aggravated. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. but yeah, like there have been times where he makes me mad. He makes me upset. But there's no way I could ever imagine my life being without him. Like that's just not even it. an option. I love it when your mind, your mind aligns with your heart. Yeah, and there's no conflict in that. I feel like that's the security that a lot of people want. You don't just want, well, you know what? I'm going to speak for myself. Okay. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. When my mind and my heart are in alignment, right. I believe that that's the relationship that I want. Yeah. A lot of times I get into a relationship where my mind is like, oh, we could do this. Mm -hmm. And then I have times when my heart is like, oh, we're excited about mm -hmm. this. But they're not always in the same yeah. track. But when my mind is secure, I'm not rationalizing. I'm actually experiencing yeah. the reality. And then my heart is aligned. That's safety. That's what security yeah. feels like. Yeah. Now, speaking of security, mm -hmm. he helped you get through this. He helped you weather the storm in the office. Yeah. You're preparing for this day out leaving corporate America. Mm -hmm. So for you, <clears throat> you didn't have an exit strategy. Mm -mm. Um, but at some point you decided I'm going, this is going to be my last day. What was the build up to that point? And how did you make that decision? So it came with a lot of last days. So my date kept moving. Oh, like it was like, okay. 2020, December 31st, 2020, or uh, December 31st, 2019, or March, like, it kept moving, mm -hmm. like, let me just do a little longer, but it wasn't until I found my healing, or like, was in the middle of my healing process, that I came up with a date, and I could not move. And I even tried to. I was like, well, let me extend it by a pay period because that check will be real good for me. Mm -hmm. um, it just got to a point where it was like I can't. Like I could not even form my mind or shape my mind to move that date again. And I had to stay committed to it. But it was, it was very scary. And I'll be very transparent with saying when I quit my job, I had two clients. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have a plan. Money wasn't coming in as frequently. Um, my clientele wasn't where it needed to be for me to leave, mm -hmm. but it came down to that question of, okay, are you going to keep sacrificing who you are and who you're <laughs> developing into right now yeah. for the sake of money yeah. and for the sake of like stability, or are you just going to let it go and find happiness as well as your journey and your way 
on what it is that you're supposed to do in the manner that you're supposed to do it. Yeah. So it just boiled down to, to just me choosing myself. Yep. Which, right. Mm-hmm. Which was the most stable option, even mm-hmm. if external didn't look as stable. Yeah. Like I was the stability that I needed in that time. Ooh, come on with it. You were the stability. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I just got done talking to my group about their relationship with stability. Yeah. And we talked about our relationship to the direct deposit. Right. Pro- pro- providing that stability. Mm-hmm. And then we look at entrepreneurship as instability, yeah. right? But creating a new relationship with your, like, RGAs, your revenue yeah. generating activities, and whatever you need to do to create stability there. Right. But when you make a decision to quit your job without that exit strategy, you create a stability within yourself. Yeah. Now that's real. <laughs> that's hard. Yeah. That's real hard because it's like you have to be able to bet on yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you know that you are a sure bet, yeah. Because like if I just work on myself, everything is gonna be okay. Then it's not I'm taking a leap of faith like right. some with old willy nilly stuff. Right. Just because you had two clients. You're not saying, oh, I'm going to find some clients other way. You're just saying, once I do the work on myself, I'm going to be able to find the other yeah. clients. That's and they'll cool. find me. Yes. They'll naturally be attracted to me to be able to see that this is who I need. I don't even know why, but it's something about your picture that is just speaking to me. Like, I started having that type <laughs> yeah. of stuff to happen. And also, having that level of support, mm-hmm. having people mm-hmm. that you can be able to trust with your vulnerability. Because you're not always going to be in that mindset, right? You're not always going to say, I got this. I'm the option. And you're not always going to be there. So mm-hmm. finding people that you trust with your sense of vulnerability that can zap you back into, nah, girl, we ain't about to do that. Mm-hmm. We ain't about to see that. We ain't about to say that. We're going to really, really do this. You you can have your moment. You're human. You know what I mean? Like, be human, have your moment. But after that moment is over, or when you get to the point where that moment is starting to control your thoughts and your emotions and control you, mm-hmm. then that's when we got to pick it up and do something different. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a therapist, which I would recommend, mm-hmm. or a therapist and a community or a support system that can be able to zap you back into your reality of I'm the stability, yeah. then that's, that's the option that has to be. Mm. What does your support system look like? Do you have, um, well, we connect through one of your good yeah. friends, right? <laughs> and so, but when you say having that conversation about, like, have your moment, I think that's one, um, hmm, it's forgiving, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, it allows you to go ahead and just have your moment. I like that. Yeah. But then also having the support system outside of your therapist um, who can hold you accountable. What is your support? What did your support system look like during that transition? Um, it was very small. <laughs> it wasn't a lot of people. Um, and it was also challenging for me because I had always been that person that would allow people to be vulnerable with me, but I couldn't be that with them. So I had significant trust issues. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I worked on with my own personal therapy, like severe trust issues and allowing myself to really evaluate the people that were around me to say, I feel like for this situation and this season that I'm in, I can trust you with that level of of vulnerability because it could be where, you know, you have people that you trust, but this sense of vulnerability that you have and this particular arena of things, you may not be able to trust certain people with that, whether it's family members or whatever. Like, for example, my grandmother, right? Me and my grandmother are very close, 
But my grandmother is a baby boomer. So her mentality is, you got to get that check. You got this good government job, girl. You better keep that. So I couldn't trust her with that because that wasn't the season for her to be able to be that support system for me. Mm -hmm. So I had to connect. I connected with a lot of people that had been in the position that I had been in. Like going from corporate to full entrepreneurship. um, Even down to close friends that... I felt like I could be able to trust in that particular moment in life. Even outside of like friends and circles. Other therapists that had been in that situation too where they have their own private practices now and they had to make that decision of like leaving corporate and betting on themselves. Mm-hmm. So for me it was just like realizing the people that are that were around me that I could be vulnerable with that with. Yeah. Whether I trusted them before or whether that trust had to look different, like just really identifying those people with that particular thing mm, was good. necessary. Um, ooh, I got two questions, and I hate when this happens, <laughs> but I'm gonna ask you both. I know okay. it's gonna come back to me because um, <clears throat> you were making close to six figures in corporate, mm-hmm. and um, I remember I didn't want to quit. I wanted to quit before I actually made six figures because I felt like once I hit six figures, it's going to be hard for me to leave. Yeah. So I might as well get up out of here now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but I also, in my mind, I told myself, listen, 70000 is not a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? You can figure out how to get to 70000 And if you can get to 70000 this is a success. Yeah. I don't care what you say. You will never go back to corporate. If you can make $70,000 yeah. on your own, that yeah. was success for me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned leaving, um, and you didn't. You had two clients at the time. So I'm curious about your... So um, you leaving, you're leaving close to six figures there, and then you're earning... You're looking at the reality of your earning potential when you leave. Yeah. So if you don't mind being transparent about the, the figures that you were able to generate right out of um, corporate mm-hmm. and then what you envision your trajectory to be, or not even envision, what you plan yeah. for your um, revenue to look like. What is that for you? So for me, <clears throat> um, even down to my job offering me the six figures before I left, like Ooh. out of nowhere, you miraculously Ooh. have this... This job, right? Yes. That's well into the six figures. And I'm like, this is a trick. Really? Mm-hmm. So it comes up Come to this thing of, honey. yeah. Uh-huh. Like, did you see the job announcement for this and that? And, you know, you can be able to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we put that out there for you. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm out. <laughs> and then it confused them because it was like, okay, you're not leaving for the money because they had you know, make themselves believe that, oh, she's leaving because there's no more promotion potential. Like, she's right. hit her ceiling, so right. she has to move typical on. typical corporate reason. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, for me, like, really sitting down and being able to make twice as much as I was making per week because I believe I was making around $45 an hour. At my corporate, mm-hmm. so going from forty five thousand, I mean forty five dollars an hour to one twenty five an hour for each client looked very different. Mm-hmm. And then when you really break it down too, in a way where okay, like even with corporate, you're making this amount, like you're at ninety thousand or whatever that may look like. But by the time taxes, insurance, all this other stuff happens, this is really what you have. It's the same way when you go full-time with yourself, like Mm self-employment. You still have expenses that 
you have to take out. But what I'm realizing is, like, I get to decide what that looks like. Now, federal taxes and stuff, I'm paying y'all. Listen, that's why I don't <laughs> go too deep into this. But, um, you know, but certain just, obligations, you're going to have to do that. Yes. But at the same time, you allocate your money in the way that you, you see to. best. Right. Yeah. I was, I was halfway interrupting because as a business owner... We get we also get different perks that right. an employee will not get. That's true. So there are parts of our lives that really do make us the business owners that we are mm-hmm. that people can't write off as employees. Right. So that's a whole different ball game as yeah. well when you think about you know <clears throat> the, even the one fifty. You could work eight hours on one fifty an hour if you wanted to, but yeah. you also don't have to, and you can still come out at a higher salary than you would if you were making that ninety thousand or mm-hmm. that forty five dollars an hour. Um, Working a full-time, 40-hour right. work week. So, I think that's important for you to mention. And if I didn't forget the other question, <laughs> I said I wasn't going to forget it, but um, I might have forgotten it. Okay. So, but I, I think in terms of your journey, mm-hmm. having the support system, being able to trust someone, mentioning, you mentioned actually protecting people with, your like what you need to process oh it's mm-hmm. coming back to okay <laughs> and uh, this is a radical idea mm-hmm. so um and i feel like you you're good with like receiving this radical idea without letting it overtake you so i feel okay. like i'm gonna just share okay because you mentioned like um being able to trust people with your idea of leading right mm-hmm. and oftentimes i correlate corporations with like slavery yeah because, like being in a plantation you're not about to be going around saying, hey, i'm getting ready to leave Absolutely. hey i'm getting ready. Yeah. like you have to be We're leaving in the morning y'all coming <laughs> <laughs> right you gotta be clear grandma right. might even get you caught up you know right y'all know she leaving right <laughs> okay. Or she might even go and say, hey, um, you know, master, yeah. she can't let, please don't let her go because yes. she's trying to keep you he- Absolutely. safe. So what is your relationship? Or and you mentioned it in a very healthy way, so you might not have actually experienced this, but um, if you've even touched it, what's your relationship with coming up against um, the people who are trying to keep you safe, but you're noticing like, oh, no, 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 this is a distraction or they're going to um, jeopardize my vision. Or my yeah. <clears throat> That was another thing, too. I forgot all about that. The movie Harriet. First mm-hmm. of all, I could only watch that one time. Mm-hmm. But the way that it spoke to me, it ignited something completely different in me to where I couldn't be okay with being okay no more. Mm-hmm. Like, just okay. Mm-hmm. And so, even with that movie and the way that they, like, communicated the messages that needed to be known, like, it just... It was mind blowing, mm-hmm. but I definitely agree with what you're saying because even my coworkers, like I didn't tell a lot of people intentionally, like the people that were closest to me and the people again that I could trust. I told them that I was leaving, but even down to like um, project managers or team leaders or even coworkers that have that same slave mentality to be like, you better keep your good government job. Like, do you have a plan? What are you gonna do? And then sometimes when you allow people in that space. They give you a level of anxiety that you're like, well, I didn't think about that. And I was like, I'm not even about to entertain that. So I definitely agree with the fact that that 
like corporate can be a level of slave mentality and even down to like still talking to some of my coworkers, like even down to the language that used to be used, like, you know, we're going to get in trouble if we process these actions like this, or, you know, you know, so-and-so, she's going to say something if you do this, and you better hurry up and get this done by 12, or mm-hmm. master going, like, it was that level of anxiety, and so even with that, I definitely agree with that perception, and I often joke and say that I was 12 years a slave because I, it was 12 years. 12 years, right. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's so true, like, we are slaves to that mentality of false stability. Yeah. Because we never realize, like, at any time, even with this agency, yeah, government jobs typically it's harder for them to get rid of you or anything like that. But you never know what could happen. What if the president says today, dismantle that whole organization? Yeah. Like, we create this false sense of stability and security yeah. to where we don't realize that if we bet on ourselves, we can be our own stable ground. That's so, I, I definitely agree with that. And even down to, like I said, the language that I was hearing coworkers use, mm-hmm. it made me look up and be like, well, where have I been for 12 years? Like, is this the mentality that I really took on? And then you start to become a threat to the people that still have that type of mentality, right. too. Ooh. So that's another thing within itself, like people being very intimidated by you because your eyes are awake now. You're not responding the same way. I told you to get that job done by 12 o'clock and you didn't do it. It'll get done, but it won't get done today. Like you really choosing, like that intimidates people because they no longer have a certain level of power over you. And then for me, like I was saying with my grand- people like my grandmother, for me, I had to understand that they weren't privy to the reality of life in a way that I've been blessed to be able to see it. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, you know, they don't have that option to be able to see clarity in a situation that I have, and that's okay. Yeah. Maybe through my experience and through me doing what needs to be done other people can be able to receive that and it can give them the motivation that they need to walk away but everybody can't be trusted with it Mm, that's good and then i also want to make this point too um the point of transitions right like a lot of us go through transitions and i was even sharing with you how um during the process of school like, I also got married and had a baby and was, like, transforming myself with, uh, relieving myself from trauma with my therapist. Like, I was going through all of these transitions, and that was tough on me, too. And so, it wasn't until, like, this light bulb went off in my head that it was like, okay, you can literally be able to do all of these things but you don't have to do them all at the same time. Because I was trying to figure out how to be a mother, a wife, um, go full-time with self-employment. Like, it's okay for you to have these levels of transitions, but don't put that weight on yourself to figure it out all at one time. Mm. What's right in front of your face? Deal with that. And everything else that you need to deal with will come with time. And when it's supposed to. Because sometimes, too you learning how to be a better woman and what that woman looks like can provide a segue into becoming a better mother, can provide another segue into becoming all of these different things that you want to be. So even with that, that was helpful with my transitioning out and my level of vulnerability with myself 
I can't be vulnerable with other people and trust them in that space until I can be able to be vulnerable with myself and acknowledge what it is that I'm feeling within me to express that to other people. And a lot of times my frustration, it grew out of wanting to like perfect all of these different arenas in my life and that didn't come until I chose what was the most important to focus on during that time to segue into other areas. Yeah. So I don't know where that came from either, but I'm glad you mentioned it because that's where a lot of my questions were centered around like, yo, you did a lot all at one time. Like And looking back on it, it's just like how did I do all of this? Mm -hmm. Like Yeah. It's crazy. I'm thinking that's actually just good for you to, sh- you know, how sometimes you in therapy and someone answers a question, you like, I didn't even ask you. Yeah, that. <laughs> that was one of those like, I didn't even ask you, but I needed to hear that. Right, right. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So now that you're out of the, you're out of the woods, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're in the process, right? Yeah. Um, you're still within like twelve months, and honestly and truly, they say it takes like seven years to process mm. that, like corporate. Um, uh, programming that we have yeah um and so one of the final things that i'm really curious about um kind of going back to processing mm-hmm. i think that's a, a universal um mental health um word that, yeah. that we have to process what we're experiencing um so now that you're six months in into the journey and you are you know becoming a full-time entrepreneur how are you processing leaving and and I'll give you a little bit more context so um in my research I've learned about corporate traumatic stress disorder yeah and that though it's not in the DSM-5 right it's a true thing like it's a it's a real thing a lot of us experience yeah so for you as you process leaving what are some of the things that are coming up for you Mm -hmm. that you've had to come to terms with yeah so it's ironic I was just talking to my mom in the car about this because she just retired after 25 years of service with the state Mm -hmm. and she's now a life coach and she's going through those beginning stages of transitioning from corporate to full-time entrepreneurship but um for me I dealt with this mentality of feeling guilt and feeling lazy Mm -hmm. so with corporate you're used to this you gotta meet this deadline you gotta get this done go 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 and then when you leave you have these moments of just wanting to do nothing you know just wanting to maybe watch tv or sleep or just do something but then there's this level of guilt that follows that because it's like no 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 like I worked this hard for corporate and I gave them 12 years of this and I did that and I worked and I pushed through for them. Why can't I do that for myself? Surely I can be able to do this for myself. Let me get up. Like trying to push myself to the point where there was literally nothing that would come out or no ideas that I could be able to process or work not getting done efficiently because my body is telling me to rest. And so it wasn't until my therapist told me, especially we as black women do this a lot. I'm sure black men do it too, but I'm a woman. (laughs) So um, I think we as black women do this a lot. We'll sometimes replace what was there or what was familiar to us, that stress and that level of anxiety with our own to feel some sense of normalcy. Mm. When in actuality, you know, our body has endured this traumatic stress from corporate for a significant amount of time maybe us watching tv or doing nothing is our body's way of resetting itself Mm -hmm. 
so that we can be fully available and present for the things that we're supposed to do with our own careers. And I don't think we allow ourselves to do that, even as black people, right? Mm -hmm. That whole mentality of being lazy wasn't something that we created within ourselves. Right. It was something that we inherited from someone who benefited from the thought or perception of being lazy. We can call it society. So, yeah. Like, yeah. Them, we can call that. it society. You know. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me just learning to give myself a sense of grace in that and learning to just be like, okay, maybe now is not the time to push yourself that far. And also just finding that balance of when to push, when not to push, being accepting of when I push myself too far and be like, okay, maybe I ain't need to work until 5 o'clock this morning. Maybe I should have just went to sleep. And giving myself grace with that because I'm still learning what this looks like for me. Yeah. Nobody can create this space for me. So just trying things as it comes, giving myself that grace to be able to say, today is a rest day. It's hard to do. Yeah. But giving myself that sense of, of peace and grace to say, I'm just going to watch um, old martin sitcom shows today like yeah. that's that's what i'm gonna do today yeah and just giving myself grace for that and being okay with it got to yeah i was gonna say my choice of drug was love jones over the yeah. holiday break <laughs> it started with love jones and and i got sucked into a whole series on netflix I was yeah like, well, how did i end up here i don't know but i feel good and i just right. had to crawl myself out of the hole because i was like whoo you just yeah. gave yourself a whole day. And it just it, it happened. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. And and not feeling guilty about right. that, about taking that time. Right. Yeah. It was a constant battle. I had to be like, okay, you're taking this time. One more episode. Yes. One more right. episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh. Absolutely. And we shouldn't, you know, be apologetic about that. Like we are looking at other people, and sometimes we can even look at other people. In comparison to say, well, they're doing this, I need to do that. And and also, like I said, creating that normalcy within ourselves to be like, okay, if I'm not pushing and working and pushing myself and driving myself mm -hmm. to the point where I'm exhausted from driving myself, then I'm not doing it right. We have to transform our minds and listen to our bodies more mm -hmm. because our bodies will always lead us to where it is that we're supposed to go and how we're supposed to get there. But having that connection and alignment with what our body responses are yeah. is what will definitely lead us to a sense of freedom from that traumatic corporate life. Yeah. Whew. We have gone through a journey. Yeah. And I, I'm so grateful for your processing your life so, be, so that you can tell your life so clearly yeah. and really give us a glimpse of what it's like to leave corporate, go into entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. find a husband, become whole, like deal with workplace situations, all of this stuff, yeah. even perceiving our, our um, childhood. You grew up in a married, a married household until mm -hmm. you didn't. Right. Right? And so being able to express that and how that transformed in your life. We, should, we can go so many different directions, and I'm not going to keep you all day. But maybe we have a part two. Yeah. Um, but as you now are turning your attention to helping clients and full-time entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you offer in, in your um, in your business, some of the services that you offer mm -hmm. that are going to help other people make their journey to where they're trying to go? Yeah, so um, I see clients that are individual-based um, couples. I am not seeing families right now because... I feel like I need to be in the room for that level of energy okay. and to be present, like, in person. So yeah. when I start back in person, I'll do that. Okay. But, yeah, I'm seeing clients virtually. 
Um, also, I have created this candle line that is called, well, uh, y'all follow me to know what that looks like. But this candle line is supportive of the work that we do. So it's not just self-care based. It's supporting the work that you're doing. It's supporting those boundaries and that love and that self-care that you need. Okay. Not just to be utilized with self-care because self-care is subjective too. So that should be coming out winter of sometime this winter of 2022. Okay. But yeah, I'm doing therapy. I'm also formalizing a group. For some people that may not be at the point of therapy, mm -hmm. but they just want that sense of support okay. to rally around them mm -hmm. with self-work and what that looks like and creating their own processes. And I also have a couple of programs that I'm creating too. So there are a lot of things that are in the pipeline that I'm excited about and I cannot wait to share them with everyone. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then in regards to the specific um, if individual clients mm -hmm. and couples that you take, mm -hmm. um, where do they need to be or how do they know that you are the one that they need to be? That's another thing. And I'm glad you brought that up too. That's one thing that I definitely want to say. A lot of times we feel this sense of guilt when there is a therapist that looks like us that doesn't fit. Okay. So I definitely want it to be known that not every therapist is for everybody, even if they look like you, even if they are of the same culture as you. Like, it's not always going to be a good fit. So don't be afraid to advocate for yourself or to find another therapist that does fit your personality, does, you know, you're not enjoying with you in a way that is beneficial. Um, but even specifically with couples and individuals, my specialties, and I think that's More along the lines of what, <laughs> yeah, where your question is, um, so I specialize in anxiety, um, a lot of self-work, self-care, um, emotional development, what that looks like, identity, um, self-identification, what that looks like too. Mm -hmm. With couples, I work, well, I've coined this thing called life after love. So with my couples, there may be a baby that has come and now the dynamics of the relationship has changed. There may be communication issues that, you know, they're experiencing. I'm helping them and sitting in that with them for them to develop how to comprehend what communication is for them. Yeah. Where did they learn, you know, how to process communication? What did that look like? Mm -hmm. Whether it was intentional learning, like somebody sat you down and said, hey, this is how you listen. This is how you do that. Or if it was purely through observation. Like, you see how you interact with your parents or your family. Mm -hmm. So, we really dig deep into a lot of that. So, the whole life after, after love concept is what I really work on with clients. So, those are people that are recently married or new relationships, <clears throat> have transitions and dynamics in their relationships that have changed, mm -hmm. and they want to meet each other in a common ground to be able to work out some of those things. I love it. I love it. Well, you guys know where to find her if you need her. And um, well, actually, you know why you need her because we haven't actually shared where to find you. So um, before we get to that last question, okay. um, I love to, you know, reach back for others who are on their journey. Absolutely. And they're trying to figure out how do I make my next step? Like she's shining bright as a diamond. And I want to do it too. Mm -hmm. So for you, um, and there's you know some girl in along the journey that you've grown through, yeah. who's trying to figure out how what's her next step. Um, and as you've learned through your own experience, 
um, what would you say that that one word of wisdom or confidence would be for that girl or guy who, mm-hmm. who's working through their journey? I would say trust your gut. Trust yourself enough to know that anything that you want to happen can and will happen as long as you're fully present in it for that space to be created for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So just trust yourself. Everything won't look the same all the time. Everything won't be glitz and glamour. But in those dark spaces, in those dark hours, in those dark moments, there comes a light that's at the end of the tunnel to lift you out of that for you to know that everything you believed about yourself from the beginning before those dark spaces showed up is still possible and it will happen. Come on with it. Drop us a nice, lovely gem <laughs> before we get up out of here. Oh my gosh, y'all. I'm going to have to do so much journaling after this. I want to thank you so much for no joining problem. us on uh, the Work and Play podcast today. I think anyone can learn and heal from this episode Yeah, because there's so much to grab from it. So until next time, you guys know what to do. Go ahead and follow this young lady. Are you on Instagram? Oh, that's where I wanted to get to next. How can they connect with you? So my website is www.cbogans.com. Again, it's www.cbogans.com. I am on Instagram and Facebook as cbogansmft. So that's C. B-O-G-A-N-S-M-F-T. And I think I'm on Twitter too, but don't worry about Twitter. It's okay. We're going to have all that stuff up under there <laughs> in the description. So yeah. if you guys need any assistance, if you guys want to reach out, please do. Um, if you have any other questions, go ahead and ask. Um, but until next time, we out here. So I'll see you next week. Peace.